2: You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping, coming smooth. Jumping, and the gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast, presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Zach Alboverde and Graham Hall here, and we are going to preview Florida's final SEC game of the season. At Missouri, we'll be joined by Eric Blum from the Columbia Daily Tribune to get some perspective on the Tigers. We'll talk a little bit about Florida's 70-52 to comeback win over Sanford and the fallout from that and what the Gators got to do to find a way to get their first win on the road in SEC play the season. Graham, how's it going? Are you... Uh, Bundled up, ready for a cold trip to Missouri? Oh man, it's crazy up there. I gotta be honest. The wind
1: is the wildest part in that stadium. And I can understand why Dan Mullen would be thinking about the weather weeks out. But we know who was thinking about the weather months ago. It was Eli Drinkwitz when he made a comment at SEC Media Days in July that he hopes it's snowing this weekend so that Dan Mullen will be complaining about something. And while Dan Mullen certainly has no shortage of complaints this season, it doesn't look like it's going to be snowing. And even though Florida is still favored in this matchup, I think a lot of people expected that it would be a lot more of a lopsided expectation coming into the year. But the Tigers have had some surprises of their own, which we're going to get to here in a little bit. A dynamic rusher in Tyler Beatty, a really good quarterback, and two run defenses in this matchup, Zach, that I think both wish were performing at a higher level.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think for Florida, not just their run defense, but their pass defense was just nowhere to be seen on Saturday against Sanford, 400 yards from their quarterback. They had three receivers that had 90 or more yards receiving, and it just obviously... The fallout from that game and some, I think, upset about the way the Cater celebrated in the locker room. I take no issue with that whatsoever, but I get the optics of it and how it's a bad look. But, I mean, look, those guys are going to celebrate and do the fight song pretty much after every game in the locker room. That's just standard. So I understand because it was such a record-setting performance and not in a good way from a defensive standpoint against the Bulldogs. They're trying to focus on the positives and the fact that they allowed only 10 points in the second half, pitched a shutout in the third quarter, whatever they did to kind of settle things down. They're hoping that they can replicate that on Saturday in Columbia. I think that all
1: Florida fans know that this program is not Alabama (laughs) right now, but they want Florida coach Dan Mullen to be a lot like Nick Saban whereas they want the beatdowns, the double-digit victories, and then they want that attitude after the postgame that, hey, this is not acceptable. And you do see that, I think, a lot of the time with coaches, not just in college football. I mean, look at this past weekend when Florida men's basketball secured a 16-point victory over FSU. The message right away was, let's celebrate, but there's a whole lot to get cleaned up. And I think that, because people only saw the celebration aspect of the video coming out. That's the optics, Zach, in this six second TikTok culture where, you know, everything is often out of context. I think, you know, no one's seen the Monday morning video of those guys getting ripped a new one for all the mistakes they made in the first half. And that really, I think, if you've been in those locker rooms, if you've been around the sport, you understand that that's what it is. You celebrate the outcome regardless of who the opponent was if you're successful and then the next week you get right back to work because if you don't have any celebration you're not going to attack the preparation with the same amount of intensity because there really is no yeah well certainly winning is a reward but there's no reward internally if you don't celebrate every single victory and we saw former Florida players come out and not necessarily defend this current team and what they've done but defend the right to celebrate after every victory. And Dan Mullen said that again on Monday, and he was rather defensive, I think. If you've been in a locker room, experienced one of those great joys, as he called it, you understand how much work goes into every single game, no matter the opponent. And when you've done that, you have to take a moment, five, ten minutes to celebrate. And I understand some people not wanting them to celebrate, considering how things have gone this season they're not going to go away from celebrating just because
2: they haven't really tasted much success over the past six weeks yeah and the one thing I will say is that seeing some more videos that came out from that post-game locker room celebration when they started singing the fight song or, or when they actually got it going it was Dan Mullen right there in the middle of that circle with all those players kind of firing them up and Just seeing him in that moment, watching that video, I I do think that he's a guy that is clearly fighting and coaching for his job. I don't think that he is checked out. I certainly don't think that he would have fired John Hevesy and Todd Grantham if he wasn't trying to to make it work here. And I think that he's trying to do all that he can to get this team going and get them fired up. The energy was certainly lacking on Saturday uh, along with several other things including tackling, but he's feeling like Emory Jones, based on what he did against the Bulldogs, he feels like he can go with him for the rest of this season. And if the defense does continue to play poorly and does continue to give up a bunch of points, if they got to get into another shootout, I guess he's feeling confident in himself as a play caller and where his quarterback is at that they can get into a game like that. And we'll see what it's like on Saturday in Columbia. But I, I think regardless, and we've harped on this a lot, but they got to find a way to once again generate some production on the ground because they cannot just come out and air it out every single series, especially if they get into a shootout situation. Because I do think that Missouri is going to ground and pound. And if they control the time of possession, I think they'll be able to control the game.
1: Yeah, we've certainly seen Florida's run defense get gashed here this season by running backs who were less accomplished than Beatty. I mean, go back to that LSU game I know you know that guy was a top prospect to Davis Price but you know no one expected him to have 240 plus on this Florida defense this is a front seven that we've talked a lot of, They, you know they've missed a lot of guys and have failed to I think produce depth at the interior defensive line position and certainly at middle linebacker as well. You can question some of the recruiting there and and the development certainly, but losing Ventral Miller has certainly hurt this team when it came to stopping the run. And I don't think you really have seen them improve in that regard since he's gone down certainly but kind of things have gotten worse as they really have lost motivation and things to play for so that is going to be a huge factor can the Gators stop the run and to get a little more analytical we've seen teams gash Florida with the counter time and time again and, and what Missouri loves to do is is run that counter run and when you've seen it over and over again Kentucky embarrassed you with it as well If it happens again, I I think that a lot of people are going to just be further upset with the coaching of this team because that's something that schematically you have to go into the game expecting and and not let that take advantage of your defense. So if that happens to Florida on Saturday, I I think that, you know, you mentioned the pressure for Dan Mullen, you know, it's going to be amplified if they get gashed on the ground, despite the strength of this Missouri team being their running back
2: yeah absolutely now we're gonna jump to this first break when we come back on the other side we'll get some perspective on Beatty and this Tigers team from Eric Blund of the Columbia Daily Tribune he'll join us to talk some Mizzou right after this break This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor, Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. I'm Blake Topmeyer,
1: and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland. But I did interview Bear Bryant and I interviewed Nick Saban and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. Zach and Graham here. We're now joined by Eric Blum from the Columbia Daily Tribune to get some perspective on the Tigers and what the Gators will face on Saturday in Columbia. Eric, thanks for joining us, man. How's it going?
0: It's going well. Uh, just a little cold in Columbia these days, but I'm sure that if any... Florida fans made the trip. They already know that past years, so we're expecting uh, some more cold, not, not necessarily snow like Eli Drinkwitz wants, but it'll, <laughs> okay. it'll, it'll, it'll be it'll be a little cold on Saturday. You
2: just answered my first question. i was going to see if we're going to get that uh, that that uh, wish that the coach had. But what what do you make before we we start uh, about this this matchup on Saturday, and, and certainly the two teams and how they have played this year? What do you make of kind of the the off back and forth between Mullen and Drinkwitz, and even how it kind of related or, or spilled over maybe from uh, the, the locker room or excuse me, the halftime
0: fight that they had. Yeah. So, so let's, let's dial it back to Halloween last year where that brawl happened. Um, I, I, I've said from the beginning that hit by Trajan Jeffcoat, who was all sec last year was a bad hit. I mean, I'm not sure if that's targeting, but that was at least the clear 15 and move the drive on. But he did that right into halftime. So it doesn't really matter. Um, the, the thing that I think a lot of people up here took exception with was how Dan Mullen wanted to take it into his own hands. You're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to be the one who sets the example. And yet if you're charging to midfield and getting in the face of everybody and anyone and other people's players, especially during COVID, this is when every single person (laughs) was unvaccinated. And just that was such a poor example. And it's kind of hard to look past that for a Missouri fan of just how Dan Mullen handles himself. And I I don't think it's personally or professionally in, in, in a good manner for the program. And but that's kind of a reputation that's come with him is that he's a football genius and maybe lacks a couple other places. Um, and so, but most of the culprits from that time on the Missouri side of things aren't here anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's uh, you know I, I think Ryan Walters, the former defensive coordinator, was got right back in Dan Mullen's face. He's now the DC at Illinois. Um, two of the three players from Missouri that were suspended um, have since trans- transferred at, transferred out. And Dylan Spencer and uh, Trey Williams is now at Arkansas. Uh, it's just Chad Bailey who's now starting. Linebacker for them. I think Trajan Jeffcoat also might have been uh, fined or uh, suspended internally, but he's still around. So getting back to your original question about how it's kind of trickled over, Eli Drinkwitz, I, I'd like to think, and the record doesn't show it this year, especially with how the Tennessee game went, the A&M game went, but he kind of mastered the Zoom era of college football in terms of leveraging the PR part of the program in little gains into big gains. And so those wisecracks and those one-liners, that's kind of him doing his own Jerry Seinfeld has kind of been part of his mantra here. And he's limited it and kind of toned it down a little bit this year because I think it's some of it is not very becoming itself of a college wall coach. But you can't argue with Missouri's recruiting results and you can't argue with taking a team where the cupboard was pretty bare in Missouri, by left by Barry Odom, currently Arkansas, D.C. And he has them at least at. You know, 500 during his tenure, if not floating, you know, kind of above the surface, probably should have a little bit better, better record than that. But a lot of the guys on the roster that he didn't recruit, he still has two years to really get his guys in here. So it, it's been an OK kind of time in Missouri. A glass half full time Missouri, I think, would be the best way to describe Trinkwitz.
2: And then so far, Eric, what's just been your overall take on, on this season for Missouri so far? They're at five and five, same record as Florida mm-hmm. played, obviously, a lot of the same teams. But I think. Looking at last week's game, the fact that they were able to get a win over South Carolina, a team that just put it on Florida, that's got to give the Tigers some kind of confidence going into this matchup.
0: Yeah, I, I would think so as well. And the spread, I think, this morning on BetMGM was eight and a half for Florida. I was, I was, I was a little surprised by that. I thought it would be within a, within a touchdown of the way. I, I think Florida deserves to be favored because you know they almost beat Alabama. Regardless, you, Vegas takes takes the breath of the season, and when it comes to that, but Missouri season has been. Interesting. I, I predicted eight and four for the team coming into the year, and Florida was a loss. I also predicted I thought Florida would be much better than they are. Um, but I, I think that I think it's starting to kind of hit people in the non COVID era of college football about kind of where some of Eli Drinkwitz is kind of falls in, it, only being a third year head coach overall, one year at App State with a roster that was mainly sc- designed by Scott Satterfield, who left the year before to go to Louisville. And then He had some really good seniors left from Barry Odom, but that was about it in 2020. They kind of led the team. Nick Bolton is now on the Chiefs, Larry Roundtree is now on the Los Angeles Chargers, and a couple of others like that. There was five NFL draft picks last year for Missouri, the most since 2009, I believe. And that was a lot of players that Barry Odom recruited. So there's just not that veteran takeover kind of guy, we thought, except for Tyler Beatty, which I'm sure we'll get to um, coming into the year. And so this season for Missouri has kind of been up and down. I mean, Missouri is 1-1 away from a bowl game. But if they just get out of their own way, there's some thought that Missouri could be, you know, 8-2, and two, you know, 7-3 and three right now. A, a costly mistake that was completely avoidable cost them against Boston College. Same against Kentucky. And, I, I mean, they got their butt whipped by Tennessee, but not a lot of people saw that coming. And then a and and Georgia just completely outclassed them. And so, we're still kind of waiting for Missouri in a weird sense to have a full 60 minute performance this year, even in the games they've blown out the FCS competition or the group of five competition. They've let them kind of score at the end of the game, and their kind of depth has really looked bleak. So, if Florida kind of can blitz Missouri early, this game might be over. But at the same time, I don't think Florida is coming in with the most confidence right now. I mean, you guys know better than I do, but giving up 52 to an FCS team, and I used to cover the FCS when I was a student at Towson and Towson played Samford when I was there. And I'm like Sanford put 52 on Florida. And you remember, I think believe I believe Florida's played Towson a couple times in the previous years, maybe in 2019 yeah, shut him out. recently. Yeah. And they looked great against a really good Towson team. So just that disparity is just a little bit different. So I think Missouri comes into the matchup with more confidence, but I think Florida does have a little bit more talent across the board. Yeah. Prior to Saturday,
1: Dan Mullen had only allowed 16 points to FCS teams since he was at Florida. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty surprising what Samford did, but someone who hasn't surprised too many people I'm sure in Columbia is Tyler Beatty. As you mentioned, I think you guys were very high on his potential and what he could do for this offense this year. But from your perspective, can you just describe what his season has been like and what type of threat he poses for this Florida run defense, which does not come in here. I think with a whole lot of confidence.
0: Yeah. uh, That's, that's unfortunate probably for Florida. Um, so uh, Tyler Beatty is a senior, fourth year in Columbia, four full years here, and his first start in Columbia came earlier this year. He played in 35 games before his first start. He was just behind an NFL-caliber back in Larry Roundtree, who I mentioned before, the entire time in Columbia, and there was a lot of questions coming into the season because Tyler Beatty kind of is the makeup of a Darren Sproles. I think he's I think he's five nine, um, probably about 195, but he's a lightning rod and a bowling ball, and you're, it's hard to bring him down. And so, but there were questions as to whether he was tough enough or was just straight up good enough to be a number one back on an SEC team. And he answered all of those questions very early on. He's had four 200-yard rushing games, including both of the last – I guess two of the last three uh, SEC games, Vanderbilt and South Carolina. He didn't do it against Georgia. Um, but um, I, I think just the way he's elusive and can break off tackles, there might, he, he's clearly the most valuable player for Missouri and – what if there's a big play for Missouri that's being made? If Missouri needs one kind of play to seal a game, Tyler Beatty's getting the ball. And it, the offensive line linemen and tight ends that block we've t- that we've talked to have made no bones about it. In those big moments, Tyler's getting the ball and just the defense can't stop it. So we're gonna keep doing it. And so I'm sure Dan Mullen's gonna have a lot of, you know, I'm not sure the current interim DC is after Todd Grant got fired, but um you, you just a lot of those packages. How do we stack the box and try and make Missouri beat us with anyone that's not Tyler Beatty if they can. So, I mean, he this is going to be his last two, maybe three, if Missouri makes a bowl game, games at Missouri, because he's going to be drafted in the first, I'd say, three rounds next year. He's just incredibly important in what Missouri does because they don't have another player of his caliber across the roster.
2: Now, Florida's run defense obviously ha- has been a struggle this season, but M- Missouri's has actually been even worse. They ranked last <laughs> in the league yep. in rush defense. But Florida – you know, the last few weeks, man, they've kind of put an emphasis, uh, surprisingly, on the pass to the frustration of a lot of Florida fans who want to see these Gatorbacks get more carries. But h- how do you see that dynamic in Saturday's matchup with Florida having a bevy of backs and at least the potential to threat them on the ground?
0: So coming into the Georgia game, Missouri's right defense has been abysmal. I mean, at some point we were writing stories about how I think there's 130 FBS teams in terms of yards per carry and yards allowed. And just every category that would make Missouri's defense look bad. Like Missouri was like 128th, 129th in the country. And like, they're only losing to like UMass. Who's not having a great year. UConn or Kansas or just teams that Missouri should not be in the same lexicon in terms of their development as, and that's where they were pretty much going into the Georgia game coming out of the Georgia and even against like Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt rushed for like 250, 40 yards against them. Like that's, that's awful. And because Vanderbilt's not good, but um, you go into the Georgia game and it kind of presented their identity. I guess they, felt felt like they had nothing to lose they kind of have developed a little bit of an uh, of a defensive identity finally in week 10 of the season they finally came up with it of we're going to stack the box we're going to bring some safeties and we're going to bring you know just blitzes and we're just going to make you beat us with the pass and Stetson Bennett did that but Jason Brown in South Carolina could not and so Missouri's rush defense the past two weeks has been pretty good it's just the seven weeks or seven games before that excuse me that were awful. And, you know, the talent of Florida, I'm not sure how the offensive line is doing this year, but if they can get in the trenches and really push Missouri back early, it's going to be a long day again for Missouri because old habits are hard to break. And, you know, Georgia didn't do that great. But then again, Georgia, Stetson Bennett and their wide receiver and tight ends just obliterated Missouri. And so I, I think that if, especially if Anthony Richardson can play and I'm not sure about his status, Missouri's had so much trouble with the quarterback run this year. I mean Mike Wright at Vanderbilt torched them and he I don't think he's that great. So I think that there's a route, a very easy conceivable route for Florida to win this game via that, but Missouri's shown their best over the past couple of weeks, so it's it's kind of interesting. It's 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 weird to say it's still a mystery going into the second to last game of the year, but it really is.
1: Certainly is going to be an interesting matchup on saturday and there's a lot of mystery here I, I agree about how it will unfold but we're going to put you on the spot eric how do you see it shaping out and what does missouri have to do to get a victory
0: on saturday so if it, uh, from a vegas perspective the line stays at eight and a half i will take the money with missouri easily um i think if florida's gonna win it's gonna be ugly and it's gonna be within a touchdown um but kind of the same for missouri I, i'd feel more confident picking that it's within a touchdown either way than which team wins um Florida's never played well in Columbia, even in the games where they've won. It's more so Missouri getting in their own way. Um, and so I think Missouri's biggest path to victory here would just be their defense holding on, would be their defense just containing the Emory Jones of the world and essentially just doing damage control to let Tyler Beatty and whoever's playing at quarterback in Missouri do the rest and Missouri's improved offensive line. And so if, if Tyler Beatty gets loose, Missouri's probably going to win this game. If he doesn't, Florida's probably going to win this game. And so, I mean, I, I just I, I just can't trust Florida right now. From what I saw against South Carolina last week, they have a very ABC offense, and so, and Florida couldn't stop it. So Missouri's offense is a little more dialed up than that. I mean, Drinkwitz is learned under Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson and a few other really good offensive savants in the country, and he's kind of brought a little bit of that. There's, there's a heavy Andy Reid influence into his offense. They've seen what kind of what Patrick Mahomes is doing in Kansas city. And like, we can take some of that, especially what he's doing with the tight ends and stuff. So I'll go Missouri 31, Florida 27. All right. You guys
2: heard it here on the Gator sports pod. And Eric, before we let you go, I want to get your reaction just kind of from the outside, looking in on this Florida program, on the situation with Damon and his coaching staff and how you maybe see this playing out, how you think it should play out and what Florida uh, the decision it might have on its hands if Dan loses one or two more games here during the season.
0: Um, I was asked on another radio spot in the, in the Columbia area this week, who, who who's Florida ne- Florida's next coach is going to be. And that's so, and I think that that's a lot of the, you know, ignorant way of looking about it from other SEC fans. And I understand it's just, it just, it just isn't that easy. Um, but at the same time, when you look at see where Florida should be, and they think they belong along among the elite programs of the country because they've been there consistently since the turn of the century. Um, this is just falling so far behind. You don't get blown out by a South Carolina. You know, you should finish off Alabama at home. And so there's been other, you don't allow 52 to an FCS team. You know, those are just things that can't happen. Uh, From the outside looking in, and I completely admit that you guys are the experts. I'm not, it seems like Dan Mullen has kind of lost the locker room a little bit. It seems like there's just some sort of a disconnect between what the head coach wants and what's appearing on the field. Well, there's Whether it's an effort problem or whether it's, just he he's kind of throwing in the white towel and looking to the NFL or looking to jump to LSU or whatever it is. I, I just think that there's some sort of muddying of the waters. That's unprovoked by anyone else. It's just happening within the walls of Gainesville. And so I'm not sure what the fix is other than to get rid of Dan Mullen. And I mean, Florida is going to be an, an incredibly attractive job. There's, you know, with the coaching carousel going on right now, uh, it, it seems like there's a lack of, big candidates out there, I think Florida's immune from that. If Florida opens up, someone huge will jump, and I think that that might be a little bit too tempting for Scott Strickland to kind of look at. I'm not sure if he was a Dan Mullen hire, if he was there or not, but you got to think that Florida deserves better than what they've got this year.
2: Absolutely. Well, we don't expect snow on Saturday, but I'll tell you what, if Florida loses, it's going to be raining and pouring in Gainesville. I can guarantee you that. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. Eric, we really appreciate the time. And uh, look forward to your coverage on Saturday, man.
0: Thank you. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami. The Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida sports network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on any of our state news sites.
2: Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Appreciate Eric for joining us in that last segment. And now, it is time for Graham and I to give you our X-Factors for Saturday and also our score predictions for Florida and Missouri. And I think Graham, starting this game, I think we'll go on on the defensive side. Uh, Obviously, Beatty coming into this game, another 200-yard performance, a guy that's got over 1,000 yards rushing on the season, 200 carries to be exact, and I think that he's probably licking his chops coming into this matchup knowing what Ford has given up on the ground. So I think for them, that is going to have to be a focal point, and they are going to have to bring a good plan and a good scheme to at least slow down Beatty you know he's going to get yards but can you just keep him from having another 200 yard outing or just running at will uh, against his defense and I don't necessarily have confidence that Florida is going to be able to do that but if they're going to find a way to win this game that has to happen
1: yeah I agree absolutely the game plan has to be an x-factor for Florida on Saturday you, you can't be beat by some unexpected things as I was saying in the first segment especially against a a guy like Beatty who you know is capable of getting to you and as as Eric mentioned wasn't someone that I think a lot of people were totally certain was going to come in and dominate as he has because he's not the bruising type of running back like Damian Pierce a little bit undersized guy very similar to Naquan right in a sense here and no matter how good the game plan is You know, it's not going to work if Florida doesn't go out there and executes it and flies around the field and doesn't let the cold deter them for playing with energy. That's my X factor energy on Saturday. We mentioned in the first segment how Florida has lost a lot of will as the season has gone on to play behind these coaches and and the game plan with once the expectations were kind of out the window. That's no longer the excuse. We saw the energy after the Sanford win. We've seen it in press conferences, vouching for their coach and for their teammates. Now you have to do it for 60 minutes against Missouri. And if you don't bring energy, I just can't see a way forward for this team on Saturday.
2: And they didn't bring energy in that first half against Sanford. And there's been, I think, questions about whether this team would be able to get up for some of these final few games, given the way that the season has played out, given the fact that there's been coaching changes and they don't have anything that they're really playing for in terms of goals. Now, obviously, they're playing for pride and they're playing for themselves and everyone that they represent. But, yeah, that energy, no doubt. I do think it helps that they don't have an 11 a.m. kick. I think if they would have come out to that along with the cold weather, that would have been really tough for Florida to deal with. Now, going over to the offensive side of the ball, I think sticking – with the run defense, we'll go over to the rush offense. And I think specifically Damian Pierce. I think that Florida could find themselves in a shootout on Saturday. I do believe that Emory Jones is going to have to produce in the passing game. and I know Graham is going to allude to that, but I think that Damian Pierce, we've talked about it now, I think for weeks, that he's not getting double-digit carries and just the bulk of the workload from that running back position clearly They have a three-man rotation that's been in place throughout this year, and it's been productive. I don't think that you necessarily need to take away carries from Malik Davis or Naquan Wright, but maybe find ways to just feed, force feed Pierce. And if that means that you're going to take some plays away from your passing, then so be it. But he has clearly been one of their best players. He's one of their team leaders. He is one of their energy guys and energy starters. So I think – hey, man, just don't go the first four or five series without ever giving this guy a touch. Like, that's the biggest thing is not just the lack of carries, but the fact that they will put him in the game, he'll be productive, and then he just disappears and gets benched. So I'd like to see them ride that hot hand, and then if for whatever reason, if it's not Damian Pierce, one of the other guys, whatever it is, they have to establish the run to try to be able to keep up with Beatty on Saturday.
1: Yeah, Florida's got to have 25-plus rushes on Saturday against this Tigers defense I mean you look at the stats you look at what Florida was good at especially early in the year and we we know that offensive linemen have gone down and and that certainly is a reason why you would kind of go away from what you were having success with earlier in the season here but Damian Pierce didn't really see the field until the second quarter against Samford I mean there's no excuse for that in my book. I mean, this is a guy you have to find a way to get involved early because what he can do for the rest of the guys is huge. And
2: and especially how bad Missouri's
1: run defense is. The worst exactly. in the SEC. And as Eric mentioned, it's not just the running backs who have been gashing the Tigers. It's quarterback runs who really they have struggled with. Guys who can get to the boundary, get outside the edge. That has really been a key. It's hurt this Tigers defense all season long. And you have two dynamic quarterbacks and Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones and I'm going with the latter who is coming off a fantastic performance seven touchdowns 550 total yards 86 of them on the ground you know that he can get it done in both facets of the game Emory's got to be the x-factor for this Florida offense in my opinion on Saturday he can beat you in all kinds of ways and he has all the confidence coming in. That was really a huge point of contention throughout the year. Was Does Emory Jones even have the experience underneath him to go out, go out there and execute the way that a lot of people expect? I mean, it's been really a lot, long time, four years, since he's played in a competitive game that really was consequential to, to his team going out there and winning. You can't just get that back overnight. I think you're really starting to see a quarterback who is coming into his own and is confident in the game plan, minimizing mistakes, and they need him to go out there and have a huge game on Saturday like he had this past week.
2: Yeah, and minimize the mistakes. That has to be at a premium Ford has got to win this turnover battle. I think that they look at Glack, a guy who's thrown 10 interceptions, the same amount as Emory Jones, that secondary maybe feel like they can get some hands on some balls if Ford is able to generate some pressure. So, we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. It's prediction time for Graham and I and look I felt like Florida, even after that loss against Georgia, still had a chance to turn around and finish the year with a four-game win streak, and I picked them to win at Columbia. Certainly did not see that type of performance coming, but in hindsight, the way that this team has just, I think, week after week had different issues come up, and then they got to the point in the season where they had to make some coaching changes. I just don't see how they can muster up enough to go to Mizzou and find a way to get a win on the road to a team that just got beat by South Carolina, which put it on you in Columbia. And so for me, the defensive performance against Sanford in that first half, I think some of those issues that showed up will show up once again on Saturday. I do think Emory Jones will probably have his best performance that he's had on the road in the SEC, and and I'm expecting a shootout because I I think defense is going to be optional. I think both teams are going to be able to run the ball, and I think that Florida is going to get into a situation where they have to find themselves trying to keep up like they did against Sanford. I think Dan's going to be coaching for his job. I think he's going to have a lot of things dialed up that he'll throw at that Mizzou defense that will put up points, but I just don't think that they have enough to get a win, and maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I'm going with the Tigers 38-34.
1: Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff when you talk about going back there not just Mullen, but Garrick McGee, Florida's quarterback coach who spent 2 years there was the wide receivers coach in 2018, certainly you would think that he'd want to dial up some stuff there on offense too against his former team. But I, I got to say Zach, Florida has just fooled me too many times. <laughs> I you know, it's been like 5 times and I just can't find it in me. This is a pride thing. You know, I, I, I question Florida's pride. And time and time again, I thought that you know they would go in there and face teams who were further down the pride totem pole in a sense here. LSU, South Carolina, you name it. I thought that Florida would have the upper hand. Now, you, you factor in a dynamic rusher, And a coach that, you know, has already thrown some some jabs Mullen's way, Uh, a program that wants to finish strong as well and in their environment. And whether you're not used to playing, I just see too many factors stacked against the Gators, despite what obviously they have to play for. Dan Mullen not, you know, missing out on bowl eligibility here, which could give you some much needed development time. I have the Tigers winning an 11-point game and pulling off the upset there in Columbia. I went 34-23 Missouri. I can see Florida getting a couple touchdowns. I could even see them leading early. But when you get into a game where you haven't defended the run well, you don't change that overnight, especially when you change defensive coordinators. I know a lot of people before the Samford game wanted to believe that it would be an overnight fix going from Todd Grantham to Christian Robinson, but that clearly was not the case. Considering they just gave up the most points to an FCS opponent that a power five team has ever allowed. So I think that Missouri is going to put up 30 plus points and I don't know if the Gators can keep up uh, even though Emory Jones is coming in here with his best performance. They're going to need him to be even better
2: than he was this past week. And, Graham, they're probably going to also need some contributions from Anthony Richardson. He's back to 100% healthy, so we'll see what his involvement is in the offensive game plan, if the defense can have a performance like they did in the second half against Sanford or if it's going to look more like it did in the first half. For Florida, a lot's on the line Saturday. Graham mentioned bowl eligibility, I think a chance to put two games back-to-back in a row and then have a chance to come against your in-state rival to finish off the season at home with a win, that's got to be what they're playing for on Saturday, and we'll see if it's enough for them to come out victorious. We will not have a podcast next week because of Thanksgiving break, but we will have a Swampcast to get you ready for the matchup against FXU, so make sure you stay tuned to that. And as always, stay locked in with Gatorsports.com as well. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde.